All right, it's a pleasure for me to be back here. Let's see if this uh, actually starts up. All right. Okay, well, it is good to be back here. Um, I hope you guys had a good week, and I hope uh, that your week went a little bit better than uh, Mark Zuckerberg's. He lost about $15 billion in one day this week. You could say that was kind of a tough day on the, the job. Um, but before you start feeling sorry for him, I think he's still worth about $86 billion. You know, he had to suffer this decline from about the third richest person in the world to the sixth. Um, but such is life when it's based on money. Money can come, money can go in a blink of an eye. $15 billion can be gone like that. Um, but for you guys this summer, you've been focusing on something that is uh, not like money. Okay, it uh, is secure, it's stable, and even internal. And you guys have been doing this series on salvation, which I'm excited to be a part. And so last week uh, I got to be able to talk about um, salvation is kindness. And then this week we're going to talk about, or today we're going to talk about salvation is calling. And so looking at the kindness of God and then uh, the calling of God. So uh, what I want to do is just do a real quick uh, recap from uh, last week. And so basically, uh, we said that we are saved from something and saved to something. And so we're saved from our old condition. We saw this old condition of ours, and it was under the world, and it was uh, the flesh and the devil, okay? We saw that we need to be saved from sin and death and from underneath God's wrath. But we also saw that we were saved to something, okay? And we found our new position in Christ, that we have this uh, new position, and we are seen by God perfectly in Christ. And so we're called to righteousness and life. And now we're under grace, not under wrath. And in Ephesians 2, uh, we looked through 1 through 10, we saw that uh, God does with us exactly what he did with his son on the cross. And he says that he makes us alive with Christ, he raises us up with Christ, and he seats us in heaven with Christ. And that is our position. But we also saw, and, and actually we saw, that uh, we receive this by grace through faith. And so... We saw that the salvation that we're talking about is a free gift of God. And we saw that our position is perfect in Christ. But we also saw and learned that our condition is not quite what our position is. We're still here on earth, we still struggle with sin, and we have this whole lifetime to work out our salvation. We talked about that. So salvation has an instantaneous aspect to where we can instantly be made perfect in God's eyes, but then we have a lifetime and sometimes a lifetime of struggle, of struggling with being in this sinful body and being in this sinful wor world, but the goal being with us trying to align our condition with our position. One day we will be like him, but here on earth, we're slowly being changed, we're slowly becoming more like God, more like Christ, and we're aligning our condition with our position. And so, we were dead in our sins, and we talked about this word walk, that basically means our lifestyle or, or our behavior, um, so how we live our lives. And we walked according to Satan and the flesh and the world. But we've been made alive. We've been made alive in Christ, and what that does is it starts three key relationships, okay? And I like to, to summarize this, and just if someone becomes a believer immediately, I'm like, you need to know God, know self, and know the world in that order. The first thing is, is knowing God. You've been called to him. It's like you got to get to know God. you got to open your Bible and read his word. you got to understand who God is because most likely you have tons of misperceptions about God. And that's the way it is when we're following the course of this world. And then ourself, you have to relearn and uh, learn anew who you are. We talked about last week of being created anew, that we're a new creation. 
And after we're saved, we actually have new life. And then there's a relationship with the world. We were following the, this terrible course of the world, but now as a believer, we actually see that we're still in the world, we're not of it, but we need to learn how to relate to it. And we start seeing its needs and how to meet them. And so I like to call this Discipleship 101, okay? First things that happens if you want to follow Christ is you got to know God, you got to know yourself, and you got to know the world. And, you, and it's a lifetime as well uh, um, project to, to continue in those. Now what's interesting here is you see Satan, okay? Well, we are now under God, okay? Satan will one day be judged and cast into the lake of fire, okay? But our flesh and the world, what's happening with them? There's actually a plan of redemption, okay? So we put Satan aside and we grab completely onto God. But when it comes to ourself and when it comes to the world, we don't abandon ourselves and we don't abandon the world. We engage in this redemptive process and this idea of salvation and this idea of working at our salvation because we are being redeemed. And one day we will be perfectly redeemed. So this is kind of a backdrop that uh, will kind of play into what we're looking at, but this is kind of the basics here of uh, coming away from what we are dead in and now what we've been made alive to. Now we're going to look at Ephesians again, um, and uh, what we're going to do today, though, is we're not going to get into detail like last week, but we're going to look in broad strokes. And so basically Ephesians has six chapters, and so we have chapters one, two, and three that are basically doctrine, Okay. And we looked at some of that. Last uh, week after the service, I got to meet some people and talk with people. Some of you guys already knew. And one person had said, oh, that was really fun and encouraging to hear exegetical preaching. Now, that's a big word, and I don't expect anyone to know what that means. But exegesis is a term we use for drawing out the meaning of the text. And last week we went verse by verse and word by word, and we drew out the meaning. And we were looking at the theology and the doctrine and some of the details that was presented there. Um, and uh, what was also fun, actually, uh, was they said, you know, when I hear exegetical preaching, it makes me want to read the word. And I hope it does that to you as well, because the word of God is deep and rich, and, uh, and, and we should be attracted to it and to dig deeply in it to find its meanings. I also talked with some people, and they were like, oh, I really liked your illustrations, you know, the pool illustration. Well, why do we like illustrations? We like illustrations because sometimes doctrine, just the word itself, sounds a bit dreary and dull, okay, or sometimes is deep, and we like illustrations because it allows us to wrap our heads around some heavy concepts. It allows us to, to get a picture that maybe we can grab a hold of or we can kind of live by. And so um, it's fun to get some good illustrations to make it real. Well, chapters four to six is about practice. So we have our doctrine, well, then you just go four, five, and six, and you have the practice. And so Ephesians is a is simply laid out, and it's a great book to read through, and we can see the practice that we have. And what I really want to talk about today is the ultimate illustration, which is our lives. And so as we look at the practice, okay, we're going to be looking at how we should conduct our lives, how we should live our lives, and our lives can be the ultimate illustration of God himself and all of his goodness and all of his work and even the depths of his doctrine. So there's an overview of Ephesians. Another way to look at it, chapters 1 to 3, is the calling of the church. Okay, we, we saw last week a call to salvation. And we saw that there's good works for us to walk in. Okay, and then chapters 4 through 6 is actually the conduct of the church. And we talked about this word walk last week. And it's, you know, it's how we live, how we conduct ourselves. And if you look at Ephesians chapter uh, 4, 5, and 6, Paul continues to use that word walk. And he's like, 
walk like this, walk like this, walk like this. And so here's just a brief breakdown. He says, walk in unity, walk in holiness, walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. And then the famous passage you may know of about the armor of God, he actually says, stand, okay? He actually says, when it comes to Satan, he's like, you stand. You stand firm against the devil and uh, the demonic realms. But so today we're going to kind of look at these two words, calling and uh, our walk. Well, we don't have time to go through this whole second half of Ephesians, okay? So 4, 5, and 6 is about our conduct. It's about our life. It's about our walk. And this is just some of the stuff that's there. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, greediness, and impurity. He talks about the old self and the new self. He talks about marriage and children and parents. He talks about Satan and the demonic realm. He talks about all kinds of things because he's saying, here, this is what you are saved from. Now there's this plethora of things that you're saved to. And he says, walk like this, walk like this, walk like this. And he just lays out uh, just an enormous amount of information for us to learn and to live by. But we do have time. We don't have time to go through all the chapters, but we have time to look at these two concepts, calling and our walk. And so when we left off in Ephesians 1 through 10 last week, we, we saw that we were created as, uh, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So we realized that we've been saved and that we weren't saved because of our works. We we didn't have good works to get saved, but when we're saved, we're freed and unleashed to do good works. That's when the good works come. Now we're free and ready to serve God. And he says that he's even prepared these things beforehand. He's like, they're there waiting. Just please walk in them. Well, so, if we go to chapters 4, 5, and 6, the very first verse, what does Paul say? He says, therefore. He's looking back at chapters 1, 2, and 3, and all the doctrine, and this great calling, and he says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So he's saying, you've been called to God. He's like, now walk. Walk in a manner worthy of that. And so we're going to look at these things. So let's look at calling. First, and uh, for most, it's an individual or personal call. So when we talk about the calling of God, and you look at all of its uses, what it's used, this word comes from the root of kaleo, it's used more than, off, more than any other uh, way in saying a calling to God himself. He's saying, I'm calling you to me. The word itself means to invite or to summon or to call. And so God is inviting us. He's inviting us, come, be in relationship with me. I'm inviting you, I'm in summoning you to come to me. Okay, and in that, it's salvation. And so it's a call, it's an invitation to salvation, it's a personal relationship with God. But then there's a second aspect of it, and it's a corporate, or what we would say, something with regard to community aspect of the calling. And so not all are we called to God, we find out we're called to his family. We're adopted as children. And so what is his family? The church. And so we're also called to the body of Christ. We're called to the, to the church itself. Third, we find out that within the community, there's an individual call, that here we are individually called to God, and that we're part of this community, his family, the the church and the family of God, but then we find out that, wait, in this community, I've been given special gifts, spiritual gifts, all of us have been given spiritual gifts. We often have, have maybe a special role within that, and we read about what role we can play within the church, and we're all to be about the building up of the body of Christ. And then the last and fourth aspect of calling uh, is an individual calling from community to community. And I'll explain this one after a while. So all of this, this calling, 
is leading us to the good works which he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. So this first individual or personal calling, if we go back to Ephesians chapter 1, the calling part, the doctrine part, says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. And so in those first three chapters, this personal call, this individual call, is a call to God himself, to a personal relationship with him, to the knowledge of him, and he's summoning, inviting us to salvation, and it's a personal calling that gives us hope. Now, we know that we need hope to live. When we lose hope, we're in despair, and we give up. So let's think about this place right here instead of this little church service, so this is a gym, okay? And I'm on one side of the gym, and the other side of the gym is LeBron James, okay? And we're gonna be, instead of having the Salvation Series, we're having our summer basketball league, okay? So I'm over there, and LeBron's over there, and we're gonna start picking teams. So what's going through every single person's mind? Oh, please, don't let Troy, I mean, maybe he's a nice guy, please don't let Troy pick me, okay? You want LeBron James to pick you for his team, right? Of course. Because if LeBron James calls you, or invites you, or summons you to his team, what does that mean? You're gonna have extreme hope. You're gonna have hope that you're gonna win, you're gonna have hope that you're gonna have a good time, you're gonna hope that you're gonna learn how to play basketball, you're gonna have hope that you're gonna have a great summer league this summer. You're gonna have all kinds of hope, why? Because you were just called to LeBron James's team. Well, it's the same thing here, God summons us. He summons us to himself, to his family, to his team, and it gives us hope. We have power and purpose and every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And so that is our hope. And when we, you know, when we're down or whatever, we realize whose team we're on. Maybe we're on LeBron's team, and if it was me, I'd be playing terrible, but it's still, hey, I gotta remind myself, I'm on LeBron's team, we're gonna win. So that's part of the hope of the calling that we have. The second part is this corporate call, this community aspect. And so after he implores us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, he goes straight in and he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I'll stop there. So what, what comes to mind when you think, oh, I need humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, love, peace? Well, these are the kind of things you need when you get thrown into a new family, when you get thrown in to the body of Christ. Okay, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm gonna have a relationship with a perfect God. It's a completely different thing to say, I'm gonna have good relationships with a bunch of other sinners like myself. And so when we come into the family of God and we come into the cor the, this corporate community of God in this church, he's like, first and foremost, he's like with humility and gentleness and patience. Okay, we have to show tolerance and love and then he goes on, he says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And he talks about this unity. And so in this other aspect of our calling, there are plenty of good works that we need to step into that he has for us. And they're going to be this kind of thing. They're going to be learning humility and learning gentleness, learning how to love one another, learning how to, to, to love our, uh, our fellow believers. Now, so it's summertime. Okay, so we have vacation time. That's where Dave Sunday is. Well, what's the perfect way to ruin your vacation? Well, when the kids are griping and fighting, the parents are fighting, 
I mean, we've all probably been there, sad to say, but it's like we do all this planning, sometimes we spend a lot of money, and then we go on the vacation, and if we've got bickering and fighting, it's fighting, it's the most depressing thing. It ruins the vacation, we come back, and we're just like, why do we spend all this money on this to have this happen on our vacation? And so in the body, this is part of what we have to learn. This is part of our walk, this is part of the good works, is to learn how to love our family members, our new family members. And when we become a Christian, the reality is we step in and we're like, you know, it's almost like we're thrown back to our high school days with all the cliques and we're like, I would have never hung out with that person. You mean I'm supposed to like this kind of person? Oh, they're kind of like that, but I'm like this. And we realize that the body of Christ is diverse. And there's people that God brings us to that we may never have ever come across before and never would have chosen to be in relationship with. But what does God do? He lets us appreciate these people and learn from these people and love these people. And it's the beauty of the body of Christ. So there's this aspect of calling that calls us uh, to this community. And, um, and there's a lot that we have to grow and learn and walk in um, as we're, we're called to that. Now also I said discipleship 101. I said no God, no self, no world. Well, the first one's easy. No God, okay, that's part of our personal relationship with him. When we come into the community, this is part of knowing self and knowing the world. We have to learn a whole lot about ourselves. If you step into a community and you can't handle it there, there's some, some self-searching you may need to do. We also need to learn about others. And so this is part of that know God, know self, and know the world. Now the third aspect is a call within the community. And so he goes on in Ephesians verse 7, he says, but to each one of us, not to just some of us, but to each one of us, was, uh, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And we find that he's gifted us. And he goes on into 11, 12, and he says, he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So we find out that once we're in this community that we have a role. And some are very specific roles and leadership roles, and they may be prophets and pastors and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Sure, there's some, some that are more visible, and then there's a bunch of other passages that list many, many more gifts. But Take it uh, for sure that we are gifted. Okay, but for sure all of us are the saints who are doing the work of service. And we're all about the building of the body of Christ. But we're all gifted and we all have a role within this community. And so that's another layer of our calling is to begin to understand what he's calling us to. What the community is saying, hey, you're gifted at this. You need to exercise your gifts in this, in this realm. And so that's a third aspect uh, of the calling. And then the last is an individual call from community to community. This is a little bit uh, more difficult to follow here, but it'll uh, be illustrated with uh, um, Paul and Barnabas uh, from a passage in Acts 13. So it says, now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, so this is the church in Antioch, was a big church, prophets and teachers. And there was Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who we know as Paul. Okay, and while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so this last aspect is for some, the mature, those that take the first aspect seriously, who know God, who take the second aspect of their calling seriously and engage the body and are a part of the body and love the body and interact with the body, and who take the third aspect of their calling seriously and they learn their own giftedness and they exercise that giftedness within the church, okay? 
that maybe then, as they mature in Christ, and it may take years, that then they're recognized. And God is like, hey, set these people apart, okay? And in this case, they actually leave the community, and they go to start a new community. And so that's what it was, and this is Paul and Barnabas when they're sent off on their missionary journeys, okay? And so they took these people, and you can imagine, it's not like they took the you know, the, the young believers are the worst among them. It's like, no, they were taking the best and the most mature. And there were people that were like, oh, I'm going to totally miss Paul's preaching. Don't send him. Oh, this is terrible. Barnabas, he's the most encouraging guy around. I want him around here. But no, the community said, no, we're going to take these people and they're going to leave our community and they're going to start a new one. And then the whole process starts again. What did Paul and Barnabas do? Basically, they were the ministers of that message of God's calling, the first aspect to salvation, and then new communities arose, and then they could come to God and then start their own community and find out their role within that community and serve God. So these are the aspects of, uh, um, of our calling. And so just to recap, so first it's individual or personal, and in that layer, if you're new in Christ, and uh, it's just where you start, just start with God himself, start with his word, and there's good works to be done right there. Just learning how to love God, learning how to please God, learning how to become like God. A lot about our character. When we first come to Christ, there's usually a lot about our just our character. We've got to change. And so there's all kinds of good works to walk in at that aspect. And the second, there's good works to walk in. We come into a community, and like we kind of already talked about, just learning patience and love and kindness and tolerance and peace and unity. We grow in that, and those are the good works we walk in. And then the third, Okay, there's more good works to walk in as we, we see this calling on our lives and we're like, hey, maybe I should be teaching more in the church. You know, maybe I should be pastoring people. Maybe I should be encouraging. Maybe I should be giving more. Maybe I should be leading more. Whatever the gifts that you have, exercising those gifts. And those are an actual calling to good works. Worshiping, leading worship, music, whatever it may be. And then the fourth is uh, the final, and this is the most altering. It could alter your vocation. It could alter where you live. It could alter the kind of people that you even live, live amongst. Or maybe it's just going to a community where they're different. Maybe you feel called to work with orphans or called to work with the blind or called to work with sex traffic girls, whatever. The, I mean, the list is limitless, but it's a, a very a much more specific aspect uh, of that calling. So, this is calling, this is our walk, this is all embedded in Ephesians, and um, it's part of where we were, uh, what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to. But what it really is, is it really like, makes us deal with the change in identity. Okay, because a lot of us, when we think of calling, okay, well, one, we may not even think about it, but we're not sure. But when we think of our identity, we typically think of what we do. Okay, well, I'm a doctor, or I'm a lawyer, or I'm an engineer, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a musician, or I'm just an accountant or businessman or whatever. Because by default, we really haven't thought about it a lot, and we're like, well, this is what I do, so this is somewhat my identity. And then some people work really hard, and it becomes their identity. I mean, that's all in who they are, is what their job is and what their work is. And we've seen last week, and we know this week, and hopefully you just know from your general understanding of the scriptures that that's not our identity. Our work, our vocation, our job is not our identity. It's all in Christ. Okay, and so we have to change that, and we have to see that also our calling, it's like, well, okay, my identity is in Christ, but my calling is to be an accountant. Well, 
I would challenge you that maybe it's even beyond that. It's beyond the very vocation that you do, and it's the things that we talked about. It deals with God, it deals with this body of Christ, it deals with exercising your spiritual gifts, and it even may deal with reaching out to the ends of the earth of this world, um, meeting the needs of the world. So Paul in Corinthians, he, uh, he talks about this concept of remaining in the condition in which you were called. And so if you're new to Christ, he's like, hey, don't panic, don't worry, don't stress. He's like, remain in the condition in which you were called and just go from there. If you become a Christian warrior teacher, be a teacher and learn what it means to know God. Okay, then learn what it means to be in community in the church. Then learn about your gift and start exercising it. And in time, if God wants to change that, he may lead you to some other vocation, to some other life. We don't know. He may do it. But Paul says, remain in the condition in which you are called. Now, he also says to slaves, he says, remain in the condition in which you're called. But if you're able to become free, by all means, become free. And so we're not stuck in that condition. He's just saying, don't worry about it, because your actual vocation, the job you do, though it may take a lot of hours of your life, is not the end goal. It's not as important as maybe we're saying it is, okay? And he's saying, just stay where you're at, and it's going to give you an arena, but start working on these other aspects of the call. And he may lead you somewhere else, we don't know. Well, to kind of conclude here, uh, Dave's been asking me to share my life with you guys, and he always gets on me that I don't share enough about my life and stuff. Um, so we talked about uh, the illus illustration of our lives, okay? And so I do want you to think about that. As you think of calling, as you think about walking in these good works, think about as we walk, you know, as we follow this calling of God, you know, is our life an illustration of all the goodness of God and the things that we know of him? And so... Um, I threw up a bunch of uh, companies that I've either worked for or I started or I own, okay, but these are just, these are companies, okay, and these have nothing to do with my identity, okay. Fortunately, um, I became a believer at age 17, and I got some of my identity issues uh, over with pretty early, um, but these are some of the uh, companies I've worked with, and so I was going to use this whole concept of the vocation and companies and our identity to uh, track through a little bit of... Um, my life. So basically at 17 I become a believer and um, I, you know, I start reading the word and I go off to college and I'm in college and I go to my pastor and I'm like, I got to quit college. I go, I got to go and I got to be like this guy Paul. I got to go got, move overseas and, and do ministry. And my pastor's like, no, whoa, settle down boy. You're going to get your degree. He goes, you're going to stay here. He's like, you're not going to do that. Okay. So one, I'd taken seriously my calling to God. Okay, I'd become part of the, the community, and fortunately, the community, my pastor, put me in a good place. And he said, you're getting your degree, boy. He's just like, don't just run off. He goes, you're, you may be zealous, but you're unwise, okay? So I got my degree. So then I graduate, and then I'm like, okay, I go to my pastor. I'm like, I want to go to seminary. He's like, no, you're not going to seminary. He's like, you need to go work. He goes, you have this degree in electrical engineering. You need to work. You need to grow up. You need to mature. He's like, you need to, to learn about the world, Okay. So I listened to my pastor. I listened to the community that I was a part of. And I was trying to figure out how I fit in. Okay, I thought I knew, but my pastor was telling me I didn't. Okay, so I didn't go to seminary. And I worked at Texas Instruments. And I worked as an engineer. But eventually, after working there, and he told me, he goes, if God wants you to, he'll get you there. Well, I worked at Texas Instruments for a while, and I ended up leaving. And I did get to go to seminary. And I got my master's in theology. I met my wife, started a family. And I was still wanting to, to get overseas. 
Well, then I realized that the way I wanted to get over there and the kind of region I wanted to go to, I said, well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to work in a uh, secular job again so I can maybe get there in a better fashion. So I went and worked at Compaq Computers. And then Compaq Computers led me to Halliburton, and I was able to get a job in Egypt um, with Halliburton. And so there, in 2002, um, those three right there, they look a little different right there. There's my kids right there. You can tell Mike was really happy to go to Egypt. So we landed in, in Egypt um, uh, in 2002, and I had a job with Halliburton. And so then um, I was able to, uh, uh, I had a job working with their, their executives and their, their leadership, and I was, uh, my goal was to start a human resource development department. And so it was all about management training and leadership. And we had actually the CEO of Halliburton come visit us once, and there's a picture of David Lazar there. And of course, when you bring the CEO, you've got to have a good place. So we obviously had a nice place with a view of the pyramids that we had our event at. But so that was Halliburton, and it got me to where I wanted to be. Well, while we were there, we actually started a company of our own, and it's called Jared's Bagel. So here I've done engineering work at computers, I'm now in the petroleum industry doing leadership stuff, and then we're starting a food business. And so we started a food business, and we started with Mohammed, who's obviously a Muslim, and Mark, who was a Christian, and my wife and I. And it literally started like this, on basically fold-out tables. And it soon, uh, we got into the school system, and we started having a kiosk, sorry if I'm blocking everything. Um, uh, started having kiosks and cafeterias and then we started getting into catering and we started doing big events and then we got our own shop and then Jared, who is my son, Jared's Bagels, then became Micah's Grill, who's my other son. Okay, we got our shop and then we started serving expats and, uh, I'll move out of the way, expats and um, the locals alike. And so, uh, but all of this was what? It was a platform for our ministry, it was a tool that we could use. And I'm still continuing on, and I'm trying to build a factory over there to put all of our uh, operations together in. And here are just some of our employees. We've got 75 employees that we get to, to work with, we get to love on, we get to minister to. Um, and and that's, that's Jared's Bagels. And when we started it, we hired orphans. We used to hired orphans. We brought them from Upper Egypt. They, like, knew nothing. I mean, these were 17-year-old boys that were just scared of life. Um, and I remember literally having to deal with Midu one day as he just, like, we're talking, he just walks over the corner, puts his face in the corner, and starts crying. And I'm like, wow, this is tough. It's like, what do I do, you know? And, um, but, we, uh, uh, but we loved on these people, and some of these orphans are now supervisors. They're married. They have kids. And uh, we've uh, um, been able to just see some, some really special things with them. Well, you can say you're called, okay, but calling is a broad thing. Well, God was, like, leading us back here. Um, so we'd been there almost nine years. We were spent. We were, we were just in need of a rest. We were in need of healing, and we needed to get back. My kids had never even lived in America. They went over one, two, and three, and so God brought us to Austin. Now, I kept the company there. I would fly back a couple times a year and keep it going, and we continued some of the ministry there, but I went to PGI, and now I'm in the telecom industry, okay? And then after PGI for a while, where we were getting our rest, and we were kind of getting healed, and we were just... Uh, kind of being ministered to, which, which we, just, we just needed it. And um, I kind of got an itch, and so I went with another startup, and I helped uh, establish uh, OneBlade, which was actually a safety razor company. Again, okay, obviously the vocation doesn't matter, but this was part of uh, what God wanted. And then last summer, I met um, a guy who's the CEO of Allegiant, and little did I know that one of the big wigs over at Allegiant is your very own Chip Ray. And so now I'm uh, working uh, kind of with, a, with a, um, Chip, and so um, I've been working with Allegiant, and that led 
us to establish Impact Worker. So uh, this year, um, we started Impact Worker in Egypt. And this is reaching out to underprivileged and, and kind of the underserved uh, people with special needs or challenges. And we're trying to offer them this cloud-based digital work. So now yet another thing. So I've got food in Egypt, and now we've got this cloud-based digital work. And here's a few of the first employees. Here's kind of our team as we're just, I mean, this is all brand new right now that we're, uh, that we're starting. And again, another platform to love and to minister to people. And then my 25 to 30-year-old goal, I'm going to be 50 next year. And so I'm kind of making my 50 to 80 plan. Or what I'm going to do is, you know, I've already had two knee operations. And my shoulder hurts. And as I start slowing down a little bit, I'm wanting, and that's why I'm kind of here, to do more teaching. And so I've, I'm working on a, a company I've got established. But this platform for teaching, you know, it's called Merit 9. But all that to say is I've worked a lot of companies. I own some companies. I've started companies. But they're just tools. They're just tools to carry out the real calling of God. They're just tools to do the ministry and to walk in the good works that he prepared beforehand. I mean, when, when he had these things prepared beforehand, I don't think it's Jared's bagels and I don't think it's Halliburton or whatever. That's not what he had prepared. Those are just tools to get there. He had greater stuff. He had what emanated from those. He had those people that were working at Halliburton that I got to rub shoulders with there. That was the walking in the good works. And so as we look at our lives and we think about how our lives can be an illustration of all the greatness of God, I would look at your calling, those four aspects of your calling, and look at your vocation. It's important, and I hope you're good at it because it'll open doors, but to realize that there's so much more and that uh, God's, God's got a great calling on our lives, and I know he's not finished with us yet, and who knows um, what's in store for us in the future. Thanks for letting me share with you guys, and I'm really, really grateful for these two weeks, and uh, um, just God bless you. And uh, I would just like to close, and if we could pray uh, before we uh, get to there, I just want as we pray, let's just offer a prayer to just ask God to, to reveal himself and to let us know what he wants of us. You know, whatever aspect of that calling that we've gone through, you know, what is it, where does he want us to go, who does he want us to minister to, and let's just be open to that. Father, we love and we thank you, and we're so grateful that we're called to you, and that you, you're the winner. We want to be on your team. We want all that you have to offer us, and just help us to receive all the good things that you have. And Father, thank you for your body, and just for those that we thought we could never like or love, and that you showed us that it's the greatest likes and loves that you can, you can give us. And thanks for the wisdom in the body, and, and how it directs us, and guides us, and encourages us. Just thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, just thank you for our own giftedness that you looked down, and not only did you pull us out of our sin, but you said, I want to make you special, and I want to gift you, and I want to use you, and I want you to be part of my work. And it's just such a privilege for just humble people who really have so little to offer to be granted such, uh, such power and such uh, purpose, Lord. And so we're grateful for that. And Father, we just ask that you show us. Show us where you want us to go, where, what you want us to be, and who you want us to reach out to, Lord. May we recognize just you, may we understand ourselves, and we, may we know this world and understand the needs of it. And by your grace, may we meet some of those needs, Lord. We thank you and we love you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.